and welcome to the Friday, July 16th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, who's running and who's not, and sanctuary counties. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up, Deirdre the Explorer. Good morning, businesswoman Deirdre DeGere announced what many of us suspected for some time now. She's thinking about running for governor. DeGere, who unsuccessfully challenged GOP Secretary of State Paul Payton in 2018, confirmed she's formed an exploratory committee because she wants to be served as a potential path to victory in Iowa's 2022 race for governor. Erin, uh, she's been a rising star in the Iowa Democratic Party and was active in Kamala Harris's campaign before the eventual vice president bowed out of the race for the presidential nomination. In her announcement, DeGier said she's, quote, not here to take up space. What did she mean by that? Well, uh, first of all, I um, to go back to something real quick, I have a teenage daughter who was right in the door of the Explorer Prime run. <laughs> James, so thank you for having that song stuck in my head all day now. I, I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was really interesting to me in that, um, the, you know, usually when a candidate says they're they're forming an exploratory committee, it's just a formality and we all know they're eventually going to run. And, and that may be the case for Deidre Dejir too, but it was interesting for her to kind of talk about that as a legitimate step in the process for her. Like she was at least with what she was telling us and who knows what intentions um, she uh, honestly has, but the the way she described it to us is that she's literally treating this as an exploratory process before she actually decides uh, whether to run and that she's hired people to kind of look into the numbers um, and, and, you know, try and do the best they can uh, with their crystal ball to, to figure out if she has a, a path to um, securing the nomination um, uh, for the Democratic Party, because she will she will have to go through a primary. Um, so it was interesting and, and, dare I say, refreshing to hear a candidate, you know, kind of talk about the exploratory committee process as an actual part of the process and not just you know, a a step in what they're obviously going to eventually do. So it'll be um, interesting. I mean, and she did say that she hopes that um, this committee and this uh, team that she's put together comes back with to her and says, yeah, we think this is something you could do. So, so she, it's, it's definitely her goal. It's, it's her hope. Um, uh, But yeah, she, she, she said that this is honestly just, um, a way for me to 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 kind of get information from voters as she goes out and meets people and and to, and to um, have others looking into whether this is a realistic thing for her. And of course, she joins uh, Representative Ross Smith from Waterloo and a couple of lesser known Democrats who are seeking their party's nomination to run against Governor Tim Reynolds. Um, and there's speculation that other Democrats will get into this race. Um, and as Aaron alluded to, Dejir is on a conversation tour, which I guess is a lot like the obligatory listening tours. Potential candidates <laughs> make. I, I thought it was interesting that uh, 
her the list of cities she was visiting were cities that were once Democratic strongholds, but have been much more Trumpy in uh, recent elections. Ottumwa, uh, Clinton, uh, to name a couple of them. Um, Todd, what's Desir's lane in this race for the nomination, and and how would she match up against Governor Reynolds? You know, the the listening tour thing kind of reminded me. I first thing I thought of is back when years ago, when you know Hillary Clinton ran for the Senate, she actually. Did, did the same thing where she's like, I'm, I'm not going to announce my candidacy until I go out and meet New Yorkers and, and see if I, you know, this is something I want to do. So maybe that's, maybe that's the model that, that she's following. But I mean, she's, she's very well regarded in the democratic party among democratic primary voters. Uh, she ran a, she ran a, a solid campaign against Paul Pate. I mean, she traveled the state and, and held a lot of events and met a lot of people. So I think her, her name recognition is probably, pretty good, especially among, again, the primary voters. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've seen across the country where, uh, you know, time and again, when Democrats looked to be sort of on shaky ground, you had, you know, strong black women mobilizing and getting out the vote and, uh, you know, pulling victories out of the jaws of defeat. And so maybe, maybe Democrats will see her as a figure that can, that can do that in, in Iowa, because certainly they're on, they're on shaky ground. And, and need to, you know, get, pump some enthusiasm and and fire into their, into their, uh, or have candidates that can do that, can pump up the party and and you know, generate enthusiasm. Voting rights has been uh, her issue. I mean, when she ran for mm-hmm. secretary of state, that was like the, her her main platform issue, and certainly that issue hasn't gone away. It's only maybe growing in terms of importance to Democrat, especially to Democratic voters. Is it enough to for a, a gubernatorial campaign to sort of make that your main focus of the voting rights? Well, I, I, I think in a Democratic primary it is because, I mean, there's a strong <clears throat> feeling among some Democrats that, you know, the fate of democracy is on the line. And so that's kind of a, a fundamental issue. And it animates, you know, a lot of Democratic uh, voters and and it's been a, it's, you know, and it's, it's been a focus of the Republican legislature and the governor. So it's a, it's a very sharp contrast that she can make with, with Kim Reynolds. One of those people who uh, Democrats have been watching uh, for signs that he might be jumping into the race, either for governor or U.S. Senate, uh, was J.D. Shulton, who announced this week that uh, he's not running for office in 2022. Um, he's, Shulton, who's near upset of Representative Steve King, may have hastened the former congressman's exit from Congress, announced this week that he will be the executive director of RuralVote.org, a super PAC that aims to quote, improve the Democratic brand in rural communities and counter what it calls Republican misinformation. Um, even for a guy whose motto was standing tall for Iowa, that seems like a tall order considering rural Iowans' recent voting patterns. Amy, is the Democratic brand a lost cause in rural Iowa? Well, I, I ironically think that's exactly what this uh, pack is going to try to find out, and, and I'm assuming counter. Um, it's been tough, right? It's it's definitely been on a downward slide, at least in Iowa. Um, you really aren't seeing the western counties especially, um, and, and by and large the southwestern counties and the northwestern counties in play at all. Um, in recent years for Democrats. So um, I think 
that's the first thing you have to do. I think JD Shulton realized you can't just keep running and running and running. You should back up, start finding out why that's not resonating with voters. Um, so that's, you know, exactly what he's going to try to do. On the other hand, you've got um, people like Dave Mulbauer who are explicitly running on the fact that they believe that um, the Democratic brand still works for rural voters. So it'll be kind of interesting to see, um, you know, those two forces at play um, and not necessarily that they're diametrically opposed, but just that they're coming at it from from different viewpoints. Um, I don't think Dave Mulbauer is under the impression that he's, he's you know, going to be surprising people in that area. I think he's he's probably right that there's still at least pockets of places that are, um, you know, able to come back around to the Democratic side. But I think that J.D. Shulton is probably playing the long game here with the pack. When you look ahead to 2022, uh, there'll be legislative redistricting. Um, you know, are Democrats better off to, you know, invest their resources in in um, the cities, the suburbs, those areas where they may be able to pick up uh, seats as opposed to trying to flip um, Harrison County, uh, you know, a rural county in western Iowa? I mean, I think... For me, I think that you could theoretically do both, right? I mean, you can still be focusing on where you're doing really well and and keep doing really well in those places. And you can obviously have multiple messages throughout these campaigns, um, one that you know is going to appeal to the urban counties. And then the messages like Dave Mulbauer is trying to bring that um, would appeal to the the more rural counties that feel like they're being left behind by Democratic candidates. Um, and it doesn't have to be, like I said, diametrically opposed. It can it can still be, you know, issues that everybody can agree on, like, um, you know, clean water and, you know, help for, you know, the middle class and that sort of thing that, that people think that, um, you know, the more high profile national Democrat and Democratic Party has gotten away from. Yeah. And, and to that question, James, I think that the issue for Democrats, especially in these statewide races, is whether there are enough of those votes in the, in the first category that you described in, in the population, the big population centers and the normal Democratic strongholds. Um, they can drive up the votes there, but I, I, I think what we've learned in these last few years is there's just not enough of, you know, Democrats in, across the country, you know, they flipped Georgia because they drove up the votes in Atlanta and they, they flipped Wisconsin because they drove up votes in the Milwaukee area. Sure. I don't know that there's enough of those votes in those metro centers in, in Iowa to overcome the deficits in the other areas of the state. So I think that Amy's point, they, they kind of have to, to, to try and do both. It's, it's got to be a war on two fronts, so to speak. All right. I think if you fight that war in Maryland at Miller Meeks's district, that would be a little bit more winnable. I mean, you really only have to flip a handful. <laughs> so if you really, <laughs> goes, you know, <laughs> should be you able to get those six out. votes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, in the third, I was third district. Uh, State Senator Zach Nunn said that uh, he's going to run for Congress uh, for the seat held by uh, Representative Cindy Axney. Um, running against the cha- uh, incumbent is always a challenge. Aaron, do you think Nunn's betting on an open seat race that Axne will be running for governor or U.S. senator next year? Yeah, and so I haven't had a chance to talk to Zach Nunn yet, so this is my hunch, not anything uh, insight based on anything he said, but I-, I could see it being kind of a little bit of both. I'm sure he'd prefer to run in an open seat 
race, even in against a relatively new incumbent in a competitive district, you still would rather be in an open seat race. That's just historically easier to win. Um, so I'm sure that's his preference. But if he winds up facing Cindy Axney as an incumbent, I, I could still see him being okay with that just because, uh, like I said, it's a very competitive district. It's it's changed hands, changed parties in recent elections. Who knows, to your point earlier about redistricting, who knows what it's going to look like um, by the time we're casting votes in this one. It, it, it may look better one way or the other. Um, so I, I kind of see this as, uh, you know, uh, Zach Nunn feeling like I'm serious enough about this race that even if Cindy Axney does come back and runs again, uh, uh, runs for re-election, uh, Zach Nunn feels comfortable taking on that challenge is as well just knowing historically it's it's going to be close uh probably no matter what uh, like i said unless redistricting really changes things significantly um so it's it's a it's a race that republicans can win and have uh, fairly recently yeah it's the third district as it's configured now has been competitive in recent elections axney uh defeated incumbent republican david young in 2018 and won a rematch last year uh, and voter registration is split about 35% Democrat, 33% Republican, according to the Secretary of State's office. So um, depending on how it, it, it's reconfigured, yeah, it could be a very competitive district, um, even if it's uh, not an open seat race, if Axne is on the ballot right there. <clears throat> Supervisors uh, in two Iowa counties have voted to declare um, their, their counties as Second Amendment sanctuaries where any gun laws hindering gun rights cannot be enforced. Their actions come as Iowa legislators have voted in recent years to loosen gun regulations. They're not alone. Alone, at least 1,200 local governments across the country have declared themselves sanctuaries insulated from state and federal gun laws uh, since 2018 when uh, high-profile mass shootings prompted calls for stronger regulations. Uh, Supervisors in Hardin and Jasper counties said they want to ensure that citizens' rights are protected against legislation on state or federal level. And this morning, I saw that sheriffs in Madison and Cedar counties are recommending similar action to their boards of supervisors. Amy, uh, it looks like this is going to be a trend. What's going on? And um, are, are we going to see this play out across rural red Iowa? I would think so. Um, I think you're probably going to see other county supervisors saying, oh, hey, that looks like a good idea. Um, it doesn't look like they're getting pushed back. It doesn't look like the state's pushing back, which is going to be the big thing. So we'll get that done. I would definitely anticipate seeing that in a lot more counties. Aaron, um, we've seen this movie before, haven't we, when Liberal politicians in the People's Republic of Johnson County and elsewhere ignored state law and tried to raise the minimum wage and take some other actions they felt they wanted to regulate on the local level. Um, the legislature and the governor um, didn't put up with that. Uh, uh, will they ignore these gun sanctuary uh, uh, resolutions? Yeah, and we just had county uh, clerks going all haywire allegedly on election law. So that's why we needed a new state election laws changes. So we had a, a 99 county election strategy. So I fully expect um, maybe even during the special session, this uh, group of legislators to come back and, and uh, write a law that uh, stops these counties 
uh, from from enacting these local ordinances. I, I totally believe that that will happen, right? Everybody's, everybody's with me. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, to your point, it's 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 just another, and I wrote a column about this shortly after the session, it's it's just another example of local control is a, basically a, 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 a joke as in a, a political tagline. There, there's no such thing anymore. Local control means it just whether you or not you like what the local government is doing. In this case, I'm guessing the Republican majorities at the state house and in the governor's office are fine with these counties doing that. So we won't hear a peep of it about it, uh, despite uh, their aggressive efforts that you described um, to correct county actions in in the recent history. Todd, I, I guess a lot of people, or at least I've heard that a lot of people ignore speed limits that hinder their right to get places in a hurry. Um, where could this sanctuary uh, movement lead? Are there other state and federal laws we might want to ignore if they hinder our rights? Taxes, perhaps? Um, could other counties declare themselves gun-free sanctuaries? Yeah, the, the sky's the limit, I guess. Uh... <laughs> Well, but, but one of the problems is is that these, from a legal standpoint, these resolutions are pretty worthless. I mean, I don't think the the DCI or the FBI or the ATF or, you know, pick your own acronyms is going to come in and, and you know, ask the county board of supervisors if it's okay to enforce gun laws. I mean, and I I've covered a lot of you know county boards of supervisors over the years, and I mean they're they're pretty good at roads and stuff like that, but I haven't met a board that was, I thought could, you know, act as a small Supreme Court deciding the constitutionality of, of gun laws. So, uh, I mean, it's, this is all part of the posturing that we're seeing on all sorts of issues. I mean, you know, guns used to be tools that we used for hunting or various security, or now they're sort of these, they're sort of campaign buttons. I've, if I'm, if I'm holstering a gun, you know what my politics are. So, yeah, it's it's these are these are strange times. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Strange times. <laughs> and we'll talk about future strange times on the next edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast and send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Field Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Paleo will take us out. If you know an Iowa band and musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. side of the bow lucky waves we live out in the clouds who stir and spill on the wind whipped moon like a cuticle rune filed away and never read by the in her swoon for her blue barren womb 
every kiss was her wish for rain but the rain would go mad become snow with a laugh a long long island sound where the icebergs conspire just like barbs on a wire a long long island a long long island a long long island sound do i bring out the worst in the oceans water the waves spell out your name a long long escape they will go look for their mates a long long island sound where the skies are all scraped by our empire state a long long island a long long island 